The Real Food Reel is proudly sponsored by Melrose Health. Founded in 1979, Melrose Health has been delivering improved health over three decades by developing natural, delicious and innovative health foods from the best natural and organic ingredients. Their healthy kitchen oils range has just launched and includes my favourites, liquid coconut oil, grass-fed ghee and avocado oil. Visit melrosehealth.com.au or check out at Melrose Health on Instagram to learn more. Welcome to The Real Food Real. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Worth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Ali McLean, Katie Pettuccini, and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness, and optimizing your health, metabolism, and longevity. While you're tuning into today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments. Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Real. In episode 190 of The Real Food Real, we are joined by Kale Brock to discuss the flow state. In today's episode, you will learn about meditation and mindfulness, but also how the flow state may be the vehicle you need to create either of these two states. We discuss the impact of constant device use, mental health, neuroplasticity, how to find your version of surfing, Kale's flow state, and so much more. Hello, Kale, and welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, last time we spoke to you, you were in a cafe in the south of France. Yes. And now you're at my house. I know. There's a drastic shift in environment. No, I think last time we we spoke a lot about like fasting and the, the French paradox and all these different things. It's funny, after... Being on, doing the whole trip and seeing loads of different places after that, my favourite place was there where I recorded from, mm-hmm. which was the Basque country, like Hossegor, Biarritz. It was so nice. Beautiful. So you caught me at a good time. Yes. Back then. <laughs> Not now. No. <laughs> Here we are in cold Melbourne. Oh, gosh, it's so cold. We wanted to chat today about a slightly different topic, but mm. I'm happy for any tangent that you want to bring. But essentially, we know that mindfulness and meditation are very vogue at the moment. Um, for some people, these activities, though, are, are quite far from what they're ready for mm. or they've got some barriers to it. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, I think people, a lot of people are mindful without knowing they're being mindful. Some people are mindful when they watch the news, which I think is probably one of the worst thing, <laughs> one of the worst situations to be mindful in because you just soak it up, mm. you know, and it's it's never good news, is it? Um, but there's a certain, I think, lack of clarity around mindfulness and flow and whether the two are the same, 
and where I still don't even know if they are the same and that's certainly something that I'll be looking at in the in the near future um but yeah I think the the barriers you're speaking about I would say are particularly uh dominant in certain generations <laughs> so my parents generation uh what are they like 50 60 uh that generation is probably less lenient towards doing things that are spiritual. <laughs> they will never go full Spiro. So um, that's uh, an issue, I think. And certainly we see the results of that. I would say the significant issues in, in male mental health is uh, probably a reflection of our lack of awareness around this space. I think up until the age of 24, the leading cause of death in males is suicide. Mm. And this is a huge topic and it's not discussed enough. Instead, we're, we're discussing, you know, why males should be vilified <laughs> for, you know, for, for being masculine or, or being too masculine and, and not having good masculine role models to actually base their behaviour off. Um, so, yeah, this is, this is a pretty deep start to the interview. Uh, but those are sort of the things that spring to mind when we talk about mindfulness. Um, I think this, especially for men, it's, it's a challenging thing to get into uh, and rename. Sometimes when I was like health coaching, I used to rename it. Mm. So that like with my male clients or whatever, I'd be like, uh, so what do you enjoy doing? And, you know, where does time sort of get lost a little bit? And they're like surfing or they're like, uh, walking the dog or even watching their son play football or something like that or kicking the football with their son. Um, so I'd just be like, okay, I'm going to prescribe like an hour of this a week at least. <laughs> you know, So I think it's how we reframe it and previous in previous generations and in previous cultures, we didn't have names for things like mindfulness and meditation. When the Indigenous uh, women used to do weaving and things like that here in Australia, um, they would talk about present state awareness in, in different words and, and how it would stave off um, sort of the, the overactive mind, monkey mind and things like that in, in different words. So it's been around for a long time, but it's just we're calling it mindfulness and meditation now, you know, quick medi before a surf, you know, that's all the boys say at home. So Do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, quick little medi before we go surfing or wow. something like that. So it's kind of coming in, which is good. Um, but it's been around for a long time. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot to be said for how it's defined. Like I feel like it's, like you said, a lot of people are probably doing it without realising, you know, they don't need to light the candle and, you know, sit on the pillow cross-legged. Yeah. And it's important that we break down these barriers because the act of mindfulness is so important that it's about finding a way that it works for you. And I love the examples that you gave, like whether it is walking the dog or watching your child play soccer or netball mm -hmm. or whatever it is. Like, can you explain more about why that could be classed as mindfulness? I found this sort of ties back to when people are, uh, engaging in the experiences that they value most, they seem to be in flow more. So if it is going back to that uh, dad kicking fo the football with his son, that's probably one of his highest values. Um, so he'll, there's less of that, oh, what else is going on that I have to do? It's like, oh, this is it. This is my moment. This is what I strive for all week. <laughs> you know, people don't get mindful until Saturday, Sunday, and then, you know, Monday comes along and just kills everything. Um, so I think that's definitely something to do with it. Uh, and, you know, walking the dog, 
Uh, for me, it's it's always been, it's funny because I had to, I learned about mindfulness um, later, but I realized that I had probably quite a gift for being very mindful. And I would contribute that, uh, attribute that <clears throat> to coming from surfing. But that's my two for everything, you know. <laughs> I yeah. always say like, oh, because of surfing. So I don't know where that sort of came from. But um, you know what I am worried about is, and I don't know if this is going off on a tangent, but I look at my sister who's uh, third, just on, turned 13. So like, oh, go the next few years for my dad. He's, gonna, he's already bald, so I don't know what else <laughs> is going to happen to him. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, she, I look at her and how, how different that generation is just to meet to my generation. I'm only 13 years older. Um, <clears throat> the way they are with their devices, mm. you know, and they're totally scared and it's almost like being mindful now is this thing that you, you can't do because it's too scary. You know, I was on the bus this morning at whatever it was, 5 a.m. or something coming to the, the airport and I found myself like I was standing there on the bus, no phone out and stuff and then I was like my habit went, my hand went to my pocket to touch my phone to like pull it out and I was like, oh, my God, stop. Mm. Like you don't need to be on your device right now. Who's going to be calling you or texting you at 5 a.m. anyway? Everyone's asleep. Mm. Nothing's going to be happening on Instagram or Facebook. Like I don't need to see that shit anyway. Um, <clears throat> so we're almost conditioned now to be non-mindful, I think. Um, and, you know, when we're not mindful, I guess we're mindless. And I think a lot of the decisions being made around the place right now are probably pretty mindless. And, um, yeah, we need more excuses to be mindful, I think. And this is why I was telling people the other night I did an event in Avalon. Um, <clears throat> it was like a mood food event. We're talking about gut-brain connection, all this sort of stuff, and a lot of the talk was on food. And I just felt like telling people, I'm like, yeah, food is so important, but like you need to actually shift perspective in such a big way to really get a hold of this because our whole society is built up to be mindless, I think, and and to take us away from being in the present state. Um, so yeah, I think it takes a large rejection of of society's values in in general. Um, but it also takes a very conscious effort to be mindful now. And if we bring that conscious effort to daily activities like here, sitting here, touching this pillow and speaking with you and looking at the microphone wobble and just being really, really present in this moment and just using, you know, my conscious energy to be aware of that, um, these little reminders act as anchors along the way that I think really hold us in good stead to be healthy neurologically. Yeah, I agree. And, and some would say that society is being created to stop us from being mindful. Mm. And I think that technology has a lot to do with that. Um, so that's a whole other topic, really. It is. I mean, we could talk about it, though. It's like more, more, more. It's like more, more, more. Just like Steph is a little bit sick at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> more, more, more. I also um, picked up, you know what's so funny? When you are mindful, you pick up weird things, like how you said because earlier. You're like, because. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's like a Melbourne thing. You're like, because. <laughs> anyway. It's probably because I have phlegm in the back of my throat right like, now. Because. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. What were we talking about? Okay, yeah, so society, I mean, it's not like there's just some evil person standing behind the 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 fake mirror going, oh, I'm like, you know, pulling these puppet strings and changing society. It's just the way it's been established over time. You know, we have a lot of people in control who, who will use media largely 
and fear-based information to um, cause the, the populace to act in a certain way. And I guess at the moment, one of those ways is to be quite mindless and that probably stems back to, you know, being consumers and, you know, treating us like consumers. You know, we, we always want more. We're never happy with what is. Um, all these things are challenged when we start to live a more mindful life. Absolutely. Mm. I love that. And you, before you used the term flow, mm. so could you explain a little bit more about what that means in, in your world? Mm. I read a book called, I can't even remember what it's called, but it's like, it might even be called Flow or something like that, yeah. Flow State or something like that by Stephen Cutler. Um, it's a really good book. Uh, it, it's a little bit, it's not written in, I suppose, like enough sort of story form for me, but basically it goes into the extreme athletes, extreme sport athletes around the world and sort of assesses how extreme sports have um, gone or sort of uh, progressed so rapidly compared to other sports because within those extreme sports, there is a necessity to be in flow because uh, a lot of them involve life or death situations. So if we have Tony Hawk going through a 900, you know, spinning through the air, um, you know, close to, to dying or whatever, um, we have uh, Kelly Slater surfing backdoor, you know, 15 foot and nearly drowning, you know, like all these different things. It requires the um, athlete to be in a deep state of flow. And that's the reason that he's sort of suggesting why these sports have progressed so fast. And he sort of defines flow as that. Moment. We've all often experienced it. We, some of us, especially those who have had like near-death experiences or something, mm. will say, I can remember everything picture by picture. Little, it's like a little movie in my mind. And you would have those moments as well from your wedding or from whatever. We tend to remember like these really important pictures. Um, and for me, I know that I recognize that because I still remember getting barreled for the first time and I can remember what it looked like surfing you know so he sort of um looks at it as and and works off the research that it's this extreme present state awareness so it's not just something like following your thoughts it's like extreme you're deep in it to the to the point where time seems to slow down and it sounds almost weird like it sounds sort of cliche saying saying it but i know i know it's true because i've experienced it um so that's sort of what, what flow is. And his sort of argument is that it's also another missing piece of the puzzle in that the more time we spend in flow, the more creative we can be, the, the more powerful our, our brain tends to become. Um, obviously, we learn about neuroplasticity and stuff. Now, previously, it was thought that your brain is like set by the time you're three or four or, or five or six or whatever it was, whereas now we're learning that the brain can change over time. And, you know, being in flow uh, tends to, um, at least from what I've read, to sort of enhance that neuroplasticity ability of the brain to, to learn new things, to adapt and um, I suppose do all those things that we're not really aware that it does. Like if you look at something like uh, an extreme sport like surfing, uh, 15 years ago there was hardly anybody, there were hardly any surfers doing airs. So that's when you obviously go up and you go in the air with your surfboard. There's hardly anyone. But um, over time, there was this sort of gradual progression with that as people sort of started to learn and get better. And this is all done by people who are like 25, 30, you know. So obviously the brain has the power to change. And those micro adjustments that you make in your body, for instance, in your heels and your ankles and your hips and where your hands are and where you look and whatever, um, that the flow argument is sort of that's all 
um, made possible by being in flow. And, um, yeah, I think that the implications of it are quite huge and it's been, I love, there's a, a Netflix documentary called, uh, it's like, anyway, I'll, I'll give this synopsis. It's like a <clears throat> documentary about the soldiers that come back from the war anyway, in the States and they're up in Santa Cruz, I think, and they've all got PTSD. A lot of them have got like, uh, they've lost limbs and stuff like that. And they're all obviously dealing with um, depression, anxiety, PTSD. And instead of um, just treating them with psychotherapy or something like that, they're actually taking them surfing. Wow. Yeah, which is really special. I swear this movie actually like brought me to tears because I, n- I never, I don't know, I just never seen something so powerful about surfing um, because these guys were like, my life has totally changed from this. And they're sort of, the theory is that if we can spend time, more time in flow, we actually just do feel better generally. Um, and artists get this too, you know, and I sort of, I sort of have moved more towards at least feeling like an artist um, with, with my job and stuff now. And that is the state that I chase all the time. Cause I know if I'm in flow when I'm writing or when I'm editing, which is by the way, when I'm editing, it's very easy to slip into flow because you, you become like a robot. It's insane, <laughs> but it's like a good positive um, creative robot. And um, yeah, I think that I'm sort of chasing that because it's this, it's potentially, and again, this comes out to Stephen Cutler. It's the ultimate, uh, state for the human organism to be in. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can't underestimate the significance of that no. for creativity, but definitely mental health. Mm-hmm. I can imagine longevity. Huge. And all you need to do is find one or two or three things mm-hmm. that you feel, you know, nothing else matters. Yeah. At some say time flies, others yeah. say time stops, but yeah. essentially you're not aware of time, right? You're not on the clock. You're not worried about what's next or what happened in the past. Mm. And I think that's quite rare these days. And they say that, um, you know, anxiety is living in the future. Depression is living in the past. Mm. Whereas we know that flow will bring you into the present. So as you prescribe surfing or prescribe soccer, like it should be that prescription. It's that important that it can improve our overall health totally and i think this is maybe why people go to the gym as well um because there's something about the gym and especially weightlifters and things like that when they when you are lifting 200 kilos off the ground you are not thinking about anything else uh, your your whole body is like focused on this one task um so i think there's a natural addiction to flow like activities yoga Yoga is huge and you're obviously, you know, you, that's one of your things as well. I remember doing yoga and my friend who I was telling you about before in the United States who's a, a yoga teacher, um, she was my housemate and I would get to go to yoga every day. This is when I had no money so I got to go for free. <laughs> so that's the only reason I went every day. Um, but it was like so sweet because um, it was finally this other activity besides surfing where I felt incredible. You know, I would go into flow, especially, I don't know why, but we'd do these final sort of movements at the end and then we'd go into, um, what, do you, what do you say when you lie on the side? Is it Shavasana? Yeah. When you go into Shavasana and I would be like totally, totally in flow. Mm. And, and I found that sometimes my brain would like pick up stories 
just these random story ideas because I'm always thinking about stories and just like flow with, it was almost like I had the movie in my head and it was just flowing and I was completely untouched. Just weird moments like that um, that I think a lot of us have probably experienced but don't maybe don't give enough value to. Yeah, and yoga is an interesting one. Like, mm-hmm. I wish I could surf. And I, you know, I won't give up on that. But um, when you're in Sydney, yeah, <laughs> for me, you know, people think yoga is about the exercise yeah. or the asana, but that's only one very small part of it. I think the biggest lesson that yoga teaches you is how to control your mind yeah. and to come back to the present moment using breath as the anchor. Mm-hmm. So, in surfing, it might be the position to create the yeah. lift or it's probably just the stimulus. It's just because the, um, there is no, there are no two waves that are the same. So you are constantly in, there's this huge demand for assessing the stimuli yes. and, and making a decision based off that. Because if you don't, you can hurt yourself incredibly badly and you can even die. So um, when you add those stimuli on, all of a sudden it's like, oh, if you want to brain, if you want to be slack, we're going to die. <laughs> so it's like to- all resources, like boom, front and center on what's going on around you. And I suppose the argument is taking this back to a sort of a paleolithic thing and ancestral thing is those moments were um, much more frequent than they are now because you know, you're completely embedded by, by nature and there you are... You don't have an Instagram in your pocket, There's do you? no Instagram <laughs> in your pocket for a start. There's no, like, news calling, you know, every every evening at 7 o'clock and um, there are there are dangerous things and there's food and if you don't get food, you, you starve and all those different things. So, yeah. No, I like the example that you made earlier about the weaving because I've been thinking yeah. a lot about what else I will do. I love yoga and I definitely practice nearly every day, but I sort of want something that's maybe not physical Mm. to test my capacity to be in flow and, and to find another activity because not everyone's going to want to surf and not everyone's potentially in love with yoga like I am. Mm. So the weaving example that you made about the Aborigines, I think is a beautiful Mm. one. I've been for years wanting to get into pottery and I think it's something I will do more um, like sooner rather than later for that reason. Mm. And I can imagine that if you're um, not in the flow, you won't, up with a, won't end up with a very well-shaped coffee cup, right? <laughs> not like a full suede sideways plant. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> At the end. <laughs> so I think, you know, there are a number of examples, but do you have any advice for someone who might be new to all this or really wants to find mm. what their flow activity is? Often I find, again, it's those things that people put off their whole life. I've always wanted to dance. Mm. I've always wanted to go to dancing, blah, blah, blah. I've always wanted to go and do the theatre. I've always wanted to go and do acting. Yeah, um, I love that. All these things that people put on, sort of pottery, it's painting. Mm-hmm. All these things which put us in flow have been shifted <laughs> to, to the low end of the priority list for some strange reason. Again, probably just the way things are set up at the moment. Um, they're just there. They're still there. And often it takes a big um, decision to just go, okay, rather than, yeah, I'm going to start pottery in 10 years when I retire, I'm going to start pottery next week. I'm going to make time for it. Um, I think those big decisions are incredibly important and I'm so grateful that I discovered this so early in life. And you know me, I'm like, (laughs) I have a weird work routine. Um, 
you and I joke a lot about me not working that much. And oh, I love it. It's my new thing, by the way. <laughs> Good. My 2018 thing. Oh, great, mm. great. So this is fantastic. So, but for me, it was surfing was at the top of the priority list for yeah. so long. And now it is just generally a life of creativity is what I crave. <clears throat> and, you know, like I said before, I try, I oh, I'd still cringe a little bit at calling myself an artist, but that's honestly, it's what I am and it's what I want to be. And that's why I think I am across so many different disciplines in that sort of space, like writing and directing and acting and presenting and um, editing and, you know, all these different things to do with mostly visual storytelling and why, you know, I, I suppose I found myself leaning towards surfing and, and yoga and really enjoying these things because they're a total body experience. Um, it sometimes, if so the tips sort of thing, if people are looking for it, go out and challenge yourself with something new because it requires all your stimulus, like rock climbing. Yeah, I was is, just thinking the same thing. Yeah, rock yeah. climbing is a huge thing. Or go to some sort of obstacle course where you have to really concentrate on something. If that's not possible, maybe it is the weaving. Maybe it is the, the light yoga. Um, but it, I even found in yoga after a while I'm, I sort of lost it a little bit because it wasn't as fresh. And I had sort of, I don't, not not that that's yoga, that's me. Um, So I obviously, I'd needed to switch up and go to something else. So because I guess, I guess that it's it's not, um, it became too easy perhaps. And for me, being challenged in a full-bodied way is the trigger for me to go into flow. Um, And, you know, I can get that, like I said, editing or whatever, but... For people, it's just, you know, taking you out of your comfort zone instead of just um, going through the motions, you know, waking up, having breakfast, driving to work, working all day, coming home, watching TV, eating dinner, going to sleep and doing the whole thing again. Uh, Rip that routine up, you know, and change it and negotiate with your boss to work from home for a day so that you can go and do these things. And it's so funny because... I don't know what your demographic is strictly like. I know my demographic is mostly mums, you know, <laughs> middle-aged mums. And um, when I tell them, it's like, it's, it's like blasphemy for some of them. It's like, what? What do you mean not work nine to five, five days a week? What? what why? <laughs> you know? So you see this, it's this massive challenge for people, you know, and I think that's sad. It's so sad. But young people tend to get it. They're like, oh, yeah. Like, no, I am pissed off that people want me to work nine to five, five days a week. It's stupid. I'm like, yeah, it should be. It's stupid. <laughs> Go out and do stuff. Be outdoors and sure, have a mission and have something that fulfills you and, you know, gives you security and, and safety and some money to buy good food. But make it work for you. Don't become a slave to it. Um, make sure you're spending time in flow. And if you're lucky enough to have a job that allows you to go into flow like I am, then just hold on to it for dear life because that is just such a blessing. I think whenever I look at, whenever I listen to artists speak, whether it's an accomplished musician or an accomplished actor or an accomplished painter, whatever, they always seem the most intelligent people in the room. And I think there's something going on there. Um, and, you know, you, you deal with the, some of the left brain people, um, it, the ones who, who wear white coats and sometimes a stethoscope, and then they're the most boring people ever sometimes, you know, and they're not that intelligent besides being intelligent in their little space. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that uh, that's kind of where I'm where I'm going with it. I think it's some great advice. You know, it can be 
initially like where do I start right like what do I possibly do I can't go surfing or you know the limitations those bullshit stories creep into the mind but I think yeah what have you been saying I wish I could dance or I've always wanted to learn to sing or you know your version of that internal dialogue like tap into that I think that's a really awesome place to start um and you know how you feel when you're there will describe flow to yeah. you firsthand. Yes. And how you feel after. So there's that glow, like yoga stone, too, like being yeah. yoga stone. Yeah, yeah, it, there's that glow. Um, I remember <clears throat> when I was 14, I think, I was, you know, so I'd been surfing for four years or something and I was just getting into the more arty side of things and I was like, I want to be an actor. Like that was my thing because I'm just obsessed with movies. I was like, I want to be an actor. And I told mom and she's like, yeah, go, go, go and do some acting classes. And then this is the biggest shame. Someone in my family, like a cousin or whatever, had, I think mum had said like, okay, I want to do acting. It's going to start this year or whatever. And he said something like, oh, what are you, gay? Oh. I know, I know, right? And, um, oh. and it, it flipped me and I was like, no, I'm not doing acting anymore, mum. Mm. And so like for seven years, no, for six years or whatever, I put off like committing to acting because I was embarrassed I was like, oh, are people going to think I'm gay? It's like the stupidest thing. But I just look at little barriers like that that I share um, that I eventually overcame to to help people sort of get out of that comfort zone because initially it was like, oh, my God, you know, I'm going to this acting thing, like I'm, I'm doing this movie. And it, then I did a, a, my first role in one of the movies was a was – a, um, a, a gay role <clears throat> as, as you know, a, in a, a lead role as a gay character. So it like completely threw that whole thing back in my face and I had to be incredibly comfortable with it. Wow. That's um, pretty cool. The lesson yeah, in that. I think so. Yeah. yeah. And what I think a common form of feedback that I got from everyone who I did acting with because I wasn't traditionally trained because I never went back mm. then um, was they were all like your present state, you're, you're so present is unreal. So I guess there was some sort of benefit to that because the worst actors are the ones who overthink. Interesting. Who, who try and analyse the scene um, logically and not roll with it emotionally um, yeah. and they'll be stuck in their brain the whole time and they'll look like robots, you know, and that's why. And I want to give a little shout-out here to the incredible actors on our soap operas in Australia because they, are so, they have to be in their heads because they're doing four or five pages of dialogue a day and, you know, they're dealing with blocking and stuff and shooting huge amounts of content that would never normally happen in the rest of the industry. It's just, you know, budget constraints and all these different things. But that's why those actors on those shows go off and do incredible things like Margot Robbie and Chris Hemsworth and the, the list goes on of all the incredible actors. Kylie Minogue. Kylie Minogue, <laughs> a little bit of Kylie. Um, so all those people have, have incredible access to flow and they're so present. So I think that came across from surfing for me um, and being able to present on camera. Again, the, the people who are not so engaging, um, you know, some people probably won't think I'm engaging, but um, the people who are most engaging are the ones who are totally present and comfortable. So there's a lot of carry-on with flow is what I'm saying is that it helps you, I think, be present. And in that, I'm assuming that there is then a distinction between mindfulness, being present, and flow itself. And that's 
I'm actually, I don't know whether I should announce <laughs> anything, but I've got some projects coming up where I'll be sort of delving into a lot of this. Potentially. Wow. <laughs> Breaking news. Yes. It's very exciting. Oh, you're obviously really passionate about it and I think it's a, such an important topic even if we just look at that mental health space because yeah. it is such a prevalent issue at the moment. It's like 2.2 million Australians living with depression or anxiety. That's 10%, 10% yeah. of the population. And we all go through it. You know, we all have times of depression or being anxious or whatever. You try releasing a film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was, and it's good for, for me to do that because that was such a lesson in just trying to let go of things you can't control mm. and um, <clears throat> trying to be, to use flow strategically as opposed to just going, wow, this is cool. Like, oh, I'm yoga stone. Like going surfing to wipe off stress to do with finances with the film or to do with that one person in the whole audience of 900 people who leaves you a bad remark. Yeah. And you're like, you, you ignore all the good ones, but you focus on that bad one. You can, it's so funny. You can remember the bad ones word for word, but all the good ones you can't even remember. So like just being, you know, really strategic with that. And, um, <clears throat> it's a massive issue. We need to, we need to talk about it more. And the more people that go, and stand up and sort of say, like, look, this is a human experience. We all feel down. We wouldn't know what good is without the bad. Um, and perhaps uh, some some additions to how we actually approach mental health. Um, it's not it's not as bad here as it is in the States, um, but I think what's going on over there is, is pretty crazy. But imagine the implications of, of pe- more people doing yoga, more people mm-hmm. surfing, more people getting in flow. and um, enjoying potentially the highest state of the human experience that we know of thus far, uh, I think those implications are huge. It's like that feeling, I don't know if you've ever, I'm trying to explain it, but if you've ever had, and this has been known of and talked about for thousands of years, that feeling of connectedness, of oneness, as in that whole idea of humans being separate and you being separate from the earth it all sort of just sort of wipes away and we have those moments, particularly in nature, I think, like when, and again, after getting that ridiculously good barrel back home with my brother, you know, serving this ridiculous wave, um, there's a, those moments after where you sit and go, oh, my gosh, like how incredible is this whole thing? And there's just no separate line between human to human and human and earth like it's all just this one thing it sounds a little bit sort of cliche and um niche and a little bit woo woo but those are the sort of things that you go through when you start to to delve into this and um imagine if everybody was sort of thinking like that instead of i need more likes on instagram well i completely agree (laughs) like we're all so internally focused i think that's a big part of the issue whereas Mm. whereas like you in that in that surfing example you have this real appreciation for like mother earth i imagine um and some people i know um get that when they're hiking for example and they see these old trees and connect with like the the size of the mountain they're climbing and things like that like i think it is a little bit woo-woo to someone more conventionally Mm. sort of trained but yeah i mean it's about stepping out of your own thought process right getting off that 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 out of that monkey mind off that mouse wheel tony robbins says that suffering is an excessive focus on oneself Mm -hmm. and 
going back to Europe and how we were talking about Europe in, in my interview, the, where I interviewed you just previously, um, and these blue zones where people live a really long time, um, they're very focused on family. So they're very focused externally on other people on making other people happy and doing it. And they in turn get to be the happiest mm-hmm. people ever. You know, I think there's something in that. And because we've broken up so much of, of that whole connection thing, um, you know, it's all about my Instagram. It's all about my Facebook. It's all about my uh, income and my doing this and my experience and blah, 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 blah. Um, we are missing what I think is a crucial element of being a human being and that's community. And we would have gone through this for thousands of years. It's going to be extremely hard to just individualize everyone and say, you live your own life, you live yours. I mean, this is why we have partners. This is why we love having a new husband. You know, (laughs) I I love having a a partner um, because we are, we are we are not solitary yeah. animals. We're pack animals. We are, you know. And I watch my dog back in Adelaide. I watch my dog like freak out. My mum and I, if, you know, for whatever reason, we'll split up on the beach. Like I've got to keep walking to meet someone or whatever. And you see the <laughs> the absolute um, terror that goes to my dog. Like, which way do I go? Mm. I need the pack to stay together. Uh. That's kind of like what we are, but on a more um, chronic level when we break up that essential need of community and engagement um we i think we suffer in a big way and we're seeing the results of that now whether we whether we acknowledge or attribute that or not (laughs) (laughs) just gonna roll with it yeah no i agree with you we've spoken about this on the show before Mm. um even from a longevity standpoint how important it is that as we age we have that community you know our kids might have left home or, you know, our family unit has changed, mm. but we can create that in another way, shape or form because we're not supposed to be on our own. I yeah. think the research on having a beautiful community around you is critical to extending longevity. Yeah. That's phenomenal. Not even just longevity, like being healthy now, mm. you know, not just living a long time. It's, it's like this for me is like taking a supplement, like sitting yeah. here chatting with you about, stuff that I find super interesting and exciting mm. um, is like a supplement. Tonight when I go and have dinner with Damien at his house mm. with his family, that for me is like a big part of my health regime now. And it's probably something that I've only learned over the past five, four or five years mm. is how important that is because you just feel so good. And there's so much less judgment on my part because I used to like judge. I used to be like, oh, my God, my mum's got her friends over again. They're drinking champagne. Like, oh, it's so unhealthy. You know, but now I look at it and I go, oh, my God, I've missed it. That, that's their yeah. community. And I wish that I could maybe substitute the champagne for like a bit of organic red wine, preservative-free, <laughs> or, or like, you know, go and give them some green tea sometimes when they're particularly not liking um, men, but that's, you know, that's <laughs> the, the whole thing. Yeah, um, yeah it, it's critical, like you said. Yeah, amazing. Mm. Just one final thought on your own personal journey. Obviously, surfing's where it's at for you, mm. but do you still do the more traditional meditation and, and what are your thoughts on, like, prescribing that? I worked with a really cool guy, like this big wave surfer in Avalon <laughs> and he's a director. So he's super creative. Um, Marcus Hamilton. And he taught me uh, basically TM uh, mm-hmm. meditation and I did it every day for about three or four months. <clears throat> and then I went away 
I think. I went on tour for the gut movie mm. and I just stopped. <laughs> and I find um, getting back into it is probably the biggest hurdle mm. of, of the whole thing. So I haven't brought it back into my regime yet, but um, at the same time I've just been travelling around Europe for four months and I feel like my whole day has just been meditative in general because, you know, with in Santorini, like I was in my jocks all day sitting in the sun reading my Kindle, <laughs> you know. It's like I'm not that stressed. I, I don't feel like I need to meditate um, because I have quite a – I feel like I have quite a, a present mindset anyway. But Marcus would say, no, you need to meditate. So I'm trying to discover the where I sort of sit with that. And you've probably caught me at a, a weird time. Ever since the gut movie, I've sort of been questioning – so much about myself and what I do. And I think um, the uh, I, mm, I've been doing it in a way that is incredibly objective and I'm really proud of that and I value that so much. Like I can sit and assess my life and notice and dis- distinguish between ego and self um, very easily like my I look at my life and I go okay what do I want and the and you know the ego voice is like a million dollars and I me Kale looks at that and goes why yeah why do you want a million dollars like what are you gonna do with that what it's not gonna make you a better person you know it's not gonna make you feel good right mm. most people who have that much money are just not happy um so you've really got to be happy first before you even want anything like that um so being able to do that for me is, is sort of a high priority and I've been doing so much of it lately because I'm between projects, Yeah, you know, and I, I feel like I've been between projects for so long now. I mean, what is it? It's like the middle of the year. I released the gut movie in the end of last year, so it's been like six months of a little bit of touring, a little bit of writing, a little bit of fluffing around trying new things and I still haven't landed on the perfect thing. I've got three big projects that I'm really keen to start but it's like, how do I start without a house and a studio and without my life being settled? So there's all these things coming up which could potentially be stressful. But I'm so lucky in that I can objectively sit back and go, hey, you're so lucky. You get to live a life that includes creative pursuits. Yeah. You get to surf pretty much whenever you want. You get to go and have meetings but that are really just like coffee catch-ups. You know, you're not living in um, the sub-Sahara and, and desperate mm. for water and, you know, having hard access to all those things. So imagine if everybody did that. Like it's so weird that we have such higher rates of mental health issues here in the West than there is in third world countries. Yeah. You know, maybe we're diagnosing them more here, but um, from what I've seen traveling throughout Africa and the world, pretty much Southeast Asia, uh, they do a lot better job at uh, finding reasons to be happy than, than we do. <laughs> like if you've got a cold, for instance, <laughs> like you do, how would you know what feeling well is without feeling sick at times? Yeah. You know, how would you appreciate, I bet you what's gone through, I'm assuming what's gone through your head whilst you've been dealing with this, you've gone, Man, I just I don't appreciate being well when I am. I only, I only like miss it when I'm sick. Also, though, the majority of my thought process has been I'm so grateful that I'm never uh, sick because yeah, I can't. Ian said to me yesterday, I've never seen you like this. Yeah. And I've known Ian for over four years. Yeah. Yeah. So 
I'm grateful that I'm really sick, yeah. touch wood. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, also I know what you mean. Like you've got that direct contrast. Yeah. I just want to be feeling well again and not coughing on a podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's funny. You've got to be human. Yeah, we're yeah. all human. This it is. is. We, I don't know why, but I used to do it as well. I used to put people up on a pedestal. We're in Cannes for the Cannes Film Festival. And I didn't realise how, like, exclusive it was unless you're, like, a big A-grade celebrity or, or big shot director, you can't get in. Wow. It's so weird. So we just sort of went there and we're like, okay, this is weird. <clears throat> but we got to see the 40th anniversary screening of Grease. Wow. And John Travolta was there, like, um, presenting and stuff. And you look at the just <sighs> crazy, illogical, irrational behaviour of individuals around other certain individuals who happen to be more famous mm-hmm. um, and you just you just go, well, this is crazy. Like we are all just human. Yeah, you know, and 100%. If you, he, John Travolta, would go through um, being sad and being happy and all these different things. You know, he's just another human. Mm-hmm. So the more we can all realise that and realise that we're all on this even playing field, um, the better. You know, it's not just the easy thing to do is to go, why me? Fuck, I'm sick again. Why me? And I used to do it all the time until until I had these realizations, you know, like, oh, <laughs> like it's so stupid. I'd be surfing and I'd cop a set on the head or something, which is where like a bunch of waves prevent you from paddling back out. It's like, you know, um, sometimes it's easy and then a lot of times it's not. You know, you've got to really put an effort to go out. And, I'm, and I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be like, why me? Why is the ocean doing this to me? It's so egotistical mm. and, and stupid. You know, it's, I'm just a human on earth in experiencing things the way they are. Um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but that mindset has really helped me. It's just to stay objective, to, mm. to distinguish between ego and, and me, my true self, I think. And, yeah, that really helps. It's been awesome. It's been so cool to chat. Thank you for coming to my little mini studio, not studio at I home. Exist, <laughs> it's good to see this death pad. <laughs> um, but it's been really just so insightful to hear from you today. And I do hope that you have some projects related to this topic <laughs> that you can share with us in the near future. Yes, we just need some money. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. Amazing. Chat to you again soon. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening, team. Make sure you dive into the show notes over at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au forward slash podcast. Now, before you go, can I ask you a favor? I'd be so grateful if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I personally read every review and comment and love hearing your aha moments and takeaways from each episode. Together, we can continue to spread the real food love. See you next time on The Real Food Real. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.